0: Hi everyone, it's Joachim Okren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast. A podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this episode, I'm going to be doing some questions and answers from the listeners. I call these episodes Ask Me Anything Episodes. So this is the fifth one I've done. Uh, and We have really good questions lined up for today. Most of them are really for the early stage startups who are thinking about fundraising, uh, testing their games, getting acquired. So we're going to talk about a lot of interesting stuff. But before we go to this episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. At Pollen VC, we provide mobile app and game developers revolving lines of credit, enabling you to borrow up to four times your monthly revenues with simple and transparent pricing. As part of our commitment to the ecosystem, we also provide a suite of free tools and resources to improve financial literacy, helping studios make the most informed decisions when it comes to finance. And that's why we've been named Best Service Provider in this year's Pocket Gamer Mobile Game Awards. Visit pollen.bc to learn more. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's... GetIGC.com The first question of today comes from Sam, who asks I saw a recent post of yours about what you would do if you'd start a game studio right now. I enjoyed this post, but I was intrigued by your fourth point in particular, which went like this. Raising funding after one concept has proof of player retention. No more fundraising with an idea. And Sam elaborates here that my friends and I have co-founded our own game studio and we have a few prototypes, one of which has strong D1 and D7 player retention. As per your post, do you think this is enough to raise an investment? And if so, how big of an investment can we expect? Thanks a lot, Sam, for sending in this question. It's a really great one. Um, the post you're talking about was something I posted on Twitter and LinkedIn uh, about a month ago. I'll, I'll put the link to that post in the show notes. But the core idea of that post was to to talk about how I'd approach uh, starting a game studio right now if I would be in a position that I would want to do something like that. So as many of you know, my background is in uh, mobile gaming and I've previously founded two companies that did mobile games. The the latest one was Next Games, uh, which is actually now coming out with the new Stranger Things game. If if you want to check it out, it's a really cool one. It's called Stranger Things Puzzle Puzzle Tales. It's like a puzzle RPG game. Well, since founding... Next Games in 2013, I've learned a ton of new things on what is a good stage to fundraise. When I founded my first game studio, which was called Iron Star Helsinki, uh, this was back in 2005, that I, I, I really didn't know anything about fundraising. But as time has gone by, I've, I've observed uh, what makes the most sense when you're thinking about raising for a game studio. Uh, when it's too early to raise the first round of funding, when is the optimal place to raise and when is it too late? I'm, I'm going to try to cover these now to sort of like elaborate Sam on, on your your position there where you are sitting at if you actually have retention numbers now. So let's first tackle this point of too early. And then let's go to the too late and finally talk about the optimal place to raise. So for too early, my post actually like points out that <laughs> already the answer that raising funding after one concept has player retention and not fundraising with just an idea. So when you have a team in place and you have an idea what you want to pursue, but you don't yet have the metric to show that the game is working i think this is to the too early point so as you're gonna be raising let's say you raise at this stage where you don't have any numbers you have the idea and the team you raise and you give up 20 to 30 percent of the ownership of the company to investors you could raise smaller uh, angel investor tickets where you only give up five to ten percent but it's more common that people want to raise a bigger round that lasts for 12 to 18 months. And then you end up usually giving out 20 to 30% of, of the company. But let's say you do proceed. Here's an example. Like you raise 300,000 a pre-seed round from investors and you spend 12 months developing the game. But as you progress, you get to these 12 months and the game isn't ready for being tested and you're running out of money soon. So you want to ask ask for more money from your investors. Then you end up giving up ownership again to the investors. Perhaps this time around 10 to 20%. And all of a sudden you've already given out like one-third of your company to investors, sometimes even two-fifths of the company, and you still haven't proven anything that's working. So it's it's kind of like you are in the path of raising and raising, but nothing is working. And all of a sudden, you might end up in a situation where you are like a minority as the founders, and the majority of the ownership is with the investors. So uh, let's say you get the game ready in six months, and then you soft-launch the game, but the numbers aren't good enough. And you notice that, okay, we're going to be spending a few months working on this game and you proceed that way. You think their numbers are going to get better and you try try also to talk with the investors already to raise. Um, but then you notice that it's not just going to cut it. We need to raise, uh, even though the, we all believe that the game could be a great one. And then you end up raising again. And now the investors own. Uh, one third of the company at least I've seen this happen so many times, like people just raise too early and that's that's why I pointed out this in the post because I, I think the truth is that many people can't start making games on their own. Uh, you know you you might be in a situation where you definitely need a salary if you're gonna be jumping out of your corporate job or being at a steady paycheck from from a bigger game studio. So I would rather uh, if if you think about like postponing the race and you're up for this kind of moment of postponing it, I would rather figure out uh, another solution to maybe bootstrap the company, do some projects on the side to fund your startup. Of course, it's going to be more hectic and you're going to be jumping around places, but you could, you know, bootstrap and get to those retention numbers. And what are, another idea that I've seen happen is that people save up their money to from like, you know, saving savings and then they live off those savings for six months, nine months, 12 months. Uh, and then you go from there and then you, if you yet don't have the numbers, then you make another plan. But at least you you could have a really long sort of bootstrapping runway there. So for the the too late situation i think there's not a really good definition for that i've seen uh game studios that have never raised and have become huge successes uh there's an example in finland called fingersoft or the makers of uh, hill climb racing so that game it it became a huge success in the early days of mobile gaming and they never raised any venture back uh, financing for the company and and now the game is sort of like the most downloaded game uh, out of Finland ever. Uh so the great thing about VC investors especially the ones who have lots of expertise in gaming is that you can treat them as partners. So they have seen all the things in the industry. They can help you navigate hard problems as they come up and as the company grows. So they're more like partners not just, you know, Necessary evil where you take money into a company and then you, you don't want to talk with the investors. If they are really good at what they're doing, like many investors are in gaming nowadays, really good. Since they have the experience, they understand gaming companies, you can use them to help you grow the company. So once you have the game that works and you're making a lot of money, um, or at least you're on the trajectory to, to you know, grow profitably, if you want to continue growing the company from making, let's say, one million a year to ten million to hundred million, the, the VCs are the best help for that kind of business. They're they're sort of like the the real partners for you there. So you just have to find that mentality and mindset to treat VCs as more than just cash, and that's what the the smart founders are always doing, even though they would have. You know their own capital to finance the, the, the company forever they still take investor money because they know that the, the best investors out there will help them a lot in hiring in the business in the product all sorts of places so finally what is the optimal place to raise so from the perspective of a game studio planning to go on the VC track of funding the company through investor money I believe that You'd want to find enough traction which points out that you've found something that the market wants. So I'm a, I'm a big believer on retention numbers as a guide for understanding where you are and if you're ready to start really like pushing a product uh, and not thinking about do we need to kill the game or not. So retention net metrics you have day one, people coming back after the day they install, day three, like three days after installing, are they still coming back? And then you want to look at the ratio of day one divided by day uh, day three divided by day one, uh, which points out to more like this kind of long term, uh, like how the curve will develop, how people will stay, because you want to keep people. So and of course, like day seven is something that you already want to see. I would say if if you if you think about the optimal place to raise. So there was this. Uh, used to be this rule for 40 20, 10, And I think it still holds quite well, actually. So day one would be 40% coming back after the day of installing. And day seven, a week later, would be 20%. And day 30, a month later, 10% still coming back after they installed. So, uh, and And if you get a mobile game that hits 40% day one and day seven at 20%, I think you are already in that stage where you should be raising and thinking about like putting more resources on this game. Of course it's not always a clear cut. Like first off getting the day day 7 numbers usually means that you have to have at least a week's content in the game for those players who are going to be consuming the content as quickly as possible because they love the game, but you want them to stick around so that you can make sure that they are actually going to be, you know, Still there, and you have valid numbers for day seven. If the content runs out in a few days, it's not gonna bode well for day seven. So often it makes sense to first focus on the day one and then day three, and then look at the ratio of day three divided by day one, uh, which should be somewhere around like this 0.7. So I would say, Sam, uh, you mentioned that you have strong day one and day seven. If you believe that you they are really like strong, and they they can hold up to what the market benchmarks are. Like you know, day seven is twenty percent, or at least close enough to that. I think it's time to start courting some investors, especially those ones who uh, who have done a lot of investments into game studios, uh, similar ones that. It, that you're you're sort of like building a business out of like free to play, looking at metrics, people who understand that you can you can also get a lot of feedback from them on your product. The next question comes from Bogdan, who says, "I'm writing to you because I want to ask your advice since I know you are investing in game development studios. So we are doing." Hyper casual games, and the team consists of 10 people. Basically, we only work with publishers who pay us for prototyping, and then we share the profit if the project shows good KPIs. This model requires us to quickly develop prototypes, and we are always in this kind of competition with quality and time. We are considering raising an investment so that the company could provide the best quality games on the market. We believe that this approach is conducive to making a hit game. I've repl- repeatedly confirmed this by communicating with the developers who have made hit games. Perhaps you could tell us how we could attract an investment. like. If we build a pitch deck, we can show just our games and teams because uh, we are working on hyper casual games and I think it's not very suitable to create a pitch deck if you don't have these kind of stable me- products where you have metrics and so on. We won't be able to write that we expect that the chance that we will make a hit game is equal to X because we are so cool and etc. etc. Of course, we believe and everyone in the team believes in a hit, but no one can guarantee this. In a pitch deck, we can describe just our team, the burn rate and the information about the team and our experience. Thanks, Bogdan. This is actually a really interesting question. I think this is on the top of many people's minds, especially when you're sort of raising without proper numbers. Um, I think first off, like when you when you start going towards this kind of uh, investor pitching and thinking about raising funds from investors, you want to think about how the company can go from making one million a year to ten million to hundred million in annual revenue. So what would the path look like? Uh, I know that many hyper casual developers who are working with publishers, uh, who are paying these developers to develop games and share revenue have these aspirations to, to raise VC funding and then to dedicate themselves into building their own publishing operations. So I think putting my investor hat on, I think the dilemma here is that can a hyper casual studio that doesn't have publishing experience grow to become a hundred million dollar company. So, you know, a studio like that is working on small titles. They don't have the publishing knowledge. Or the plan that they would need to present um, to to actually like attract that investment. So I think there's a lot of holes here that you need to start thinking about like covering. Uh, so there are some other big questions as well, like what kind of games will you start making after you fundraise? Will you continue working on hyper casual? What will be the kind of approach that you will take once you have more resources? Like you you mentioned here that you're gonna make more quality games Uh, like have you already tried to make quality games with the current resources like what is actually stopping your current team from doing that Um, like building more like this kind of knowledge before you start going to investors makes a lot of sense like preparation i recently wrote a newsletter post uh, titled uh, from pre-seed to seed where i talk a lot about like the preparation phase for fundraising. So you wanna you wanna check that out. I think it was EGD hundred was the the number of the newsletter. So another question that you would be asking is how will you build your own publishing operation? Like, if you raise, let's say, 1 million, where will that take you in 12 months regarding the operations? Uh, and then, like, regarding games, soft launch, uh, games that are actually going going out and creating revenues. Of course, you don't know all of this yet, but you want to talk, think about scenarios and also, like, what is more likely to happen. Like, we already know this will happen, this will happen, like... 80 percent likely that we can actually build the publishing operations in the first four months already Uh, and then then you need to start cracking at that i I think like you know don't wait for investors to give you the permission to start your own sort of road towards your publishing operations start it right now because then you can show that you are taking an initiative before you take take any money from investors and the vcs will definitely love your initiative there so then there's also a few qualitative questions like uh, are the founders capable of hiring uh, can you build like a team to do that how do you attract talent to your team and are the founders ready to manage this kind of growing company so these questions are more harder to answer and and usually there aren't really like good answers for are they capable of, of for hiring Usually, no, <laughs> it's very hard. The industry is so competitive. So the best people are already working somewhere. But you need to start tackling these questions. So uh, I, I think like, the investors need to be reading all of these signals to get confidence that you know when you present uh, your current work, your previous work, all of that matters. So I've seen first-time founders who are super confident about what they're doing, and it doesn't really matter if the in these cases the founders didn't have done impressive stuff before, but they've shown that they do take initiative on their own, and that that's really weighs a ton in making an investment decision. I've also talked about this uh, idea of founder idea fit. Uh, so if you're doing hyper casual games, uh, but let's say you would have unlimited funding for doing hyper casual games. Would you rather be doing a PC game or something else than the hyper casual? So that also tells a lot about the founder's conviction towards the business idea that they're going after. Will they have the motivation to push and the passion and the interest to learn? Uh, or would they rather be you know, daydreaming about doing PC games? So Bogdan, your, your question focused on what you'd want to put in your pitch deck. Uh, I, I think... I believe that you want to have a discussion with the investors first and foremost and never rely on pitch decks doing the work. It never works that way. So the the, the deck is mostly meant to get that meeting schedule. So you have a teaser deck and you send that out. So I, I, I really love getting a teaser deck from a founder that's like five slides or four slides. So I recently wrote about this kind of... Um, Teaser deck format that I really love, which is like you know, slide one would be your punchline, like uh, zero to one hundred thousand revenues in three months, or something that cool that you already managed. Uh, and then the second slide should be about your team, like what you've done before, your combined strengths as a team. it, it is a team effort, so we're, we've together built five game studios. Would be an awesome thing to see. Uh, that doesn't come up often. Uh, but anyways, you wanna you wanna talk about something that you tried something really hard, even though it could have failed. It doesn't matter. You put into a lot of effort into learning stuff. So like uh, another uh, team sort of like title could be that we built hundred games and killed ninety nine of them in soft launch or something. Uh, the the third slide would be about your numbers. Like you know, if you have a game soft launch, what are the the graphs looking like? Where do you see promise now? Uh, what do you expect to happen? So you, you do a dashed graph line for what you're expecting here. And then the final slide would be about your uh, financial ask what what you are raising uh, and where you plan to use it. Like, you know, you could say we're raising 10, uh, two million to take the company to 10 million in annual run rate. And then we will raise another round. But you don't need to mention the other round. I, I think it's more important to talk about how much you raise and where you use it, and not talk about like how much ownership you're gonna give out. That's like that's really bad advice that I've seen previously in my career when somebody says that you should put uh, like how much valuation and like percentage you you're planning for the company. That's something that the investor will usually nowadays bring up. If they ask that from you, you could say that, yeah, the we're thinking about the uh, fair market valuation, but we're so early in the talks, we don't really want to mention that. And you just leave it there. So I think, Bogdan, your plan needs to be that you won't even show this pitch deck in those meetings. Uh, you want to prepare yourself to, to think about these things that I just mentioned. And you can always assume that an investor has read the pitch deck that you sent over before the meeting. So don't prepare to show it. So, of course, if they say yes, that they don't really recall everything from the pitch deck, you can go into the pitch deck and sh- start showing it. But try to keep the time of showing to deck to to five to seven minutes ma- maximum because you want to, to keep time there enough for having a really good discussion. That's where the confidence for the investors comes from. Here's a question from Jefferson, who says, how should we prototype test of a hyper casual video game? Is there some free software where you can implement those tests and verify the KPIs? Is it feasible to upload the prototype to Google Play and test it with real players? Uh, And how many players should it be? And what would be the right results of these KPIs to continue with a project and get on with it? Uh, And should the concept art be presented in this prototype? Thanks for these questions, Jefferson. There's there's a lot here. So I'm going to answer these more broadly on what I see happening in in mobile free-to-play right now. Regarding the prototype testing, how you want to implement these tests, what the KPIs look like, uh, how do you want the art to be re- represented—all of those are really like tied nicely into like validation of a game. So the reason I won't specifically go into hyper casual here is that I'm not on top of the most accurate and the most up-to-date uh, techniques for hyper casual publishing, uh, but. All I can say is that hyper casual um, specifically is is very much about partnering up with a publisher and learning from them. So if like thinking about like your situation where you're still figuring out how to test a hyper casual game, what we want to do, I think the best position that you could do is just talk with the publishers and and try to get some some of them to test your game for you. Um, that's what I would do if I would be doing a hyper-casual studio right now. But let, let's tackle more broadly your questions. Your first question was how to test prototypes. So th- there are three ways that I've seen developers do this. So one is to create a fake app store page with no actual prototype or build there. So you just measure like the, the, the conversion rate of people coming to the fake app store page and pressing the install button. Like or the get button if it is a fake uh, like Apple App Store page. So with these fake pages, it's optimal to have several different concepts running at the same time, so that you can you can take a look at which concepts has has the best conversion rates. So why do we talk about conversion rates? So I, I think it's really uh, the best way to determine how badly some people want your game. So the percentage could vary from you know 0% wanting it to, to several percent, like 8%, which would be awesome. Uh, so this percentage, I think, is the best indicator for a low cost per install when you start doing user acquisition for your players, which you anyways want to think about when you're building a real mobile games business. Like if you have a high conversion, uh, you will have a low CPI. But if you have low conversion for people wanting to click the install, you will have higher CPI because there's, there's less people who are interested in your game. So the second question was more about the, the free software that you're talking about. Like uh, where do we implement these tests and how do we verify the KPIs? So I'm going to mention two options. One is paid and one is a free one. So the paid options, I, I would suggest you look at Geek Lab they have this kind of like hosting of fake app store pages and they have metrics dashboards for that. So you only need to provide the game material uh, for these fake pages and the system will take care of the rest. So earlier this year, I did a webinar with uh, the CEO of Geek Lab, Jesse. Uh, We did this webinar and if you Google for EGD Geek Lab, you'll find the webinar recording for sure. Um, I'll also add the link to the show notes to that webinar so this and then you that's a paid option so that will cost you I think a thousand dollars or something or even two thousand like in that range to set that up but it really makes a lot of sense especially if you know that you want to figure this out early on so then the free option would be that you yourself build a fake app store page that basically runs on a website that you host, and then you drive traffic to that page from Facebook and Google Ads. Uh, of course, that won't be free <laughs> in a sense, but it's it's very cost effective to to do some kind of like pay per click ads uh, where people are clicking a Facebook ad to a game, and then they're being taken to these kind of sites. I would say you're going to be only spending like a hundred, two hundred dollars. Um, like there was, you also asked like how many people do you want to have. Uh, There, I would say like 500 is good enough for like early tests to see these conversion rates. Uh, If you have more concepts running at the same time, then you of course need to run uh, enough people through all of those different concepts and layouts at the same time. So for the analytics, you could always set up like Google Analytics, which is free uh, to, to capture people coming to the to the fake page and clicking the install button. And one other free option, of course, is to, to go and talk with all sorts of mobile game publishers who are willing to run tests for free to test the metrics. Of course, they have the agenda that they could then publish your game. But I think it's really worth it, uh, especially if you're still learning how to put these things together. You don't have the resources, the know-how, the capital to, to you know hire Geek Lab to do it for you. So... It, I think it's worth it, for sure. And then your third question was like, um, is it feasible to to upload a prototype to Google Play uh, and test with real players? Uh, so I, I think in this stage where you'd want to talk to some publishers who are willing to test your game is the best option if you're just starting out. But if you are committed to publishing the game yourself, and you want to take care of the Play Store, everything, run the tests, get the numbers, uh, you just need to learn to do that. Um, but like, just you know, making sure that this is a learning process that you are working towards becoming your self-publishing entity, where you are the actual publisher, is, is a good thing to realize first. So if you're looking to run these prototype tests on your own, I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, but you will need to pick up these skills and you will need to pay to run those ads and everything. There's there's a bunch of uh, YouTube videos, tutorials for how to set up Facebook ads for apps in Google Play and App Store. So I don't think it's going to be too hard to pick up. So Jefferson, to summarize sort of what you are asking here, I would I would really want you to first focus on delivering a quality game that a publisher will test for you. Like you, if you start doing tests on your own, I think it's taking your focus away now from uh, building really great games and just focusing on that. You can learn publishing later when you sort of like understand what the mobile audience wants. You've developed enough skills to create mobile games. Then you move on to building your own publishing in internally I've seen a lot of developers do it that way even the the most experienced ones who don't have publishing teams they don't want to take on P- team members who they will need to pay money uh, to to run these tests and it's going to be more expensive before you know that everything works so yeah use the publishers as long as you feel like you still are figuring out the game side the final question from for this episode comes from Amy who says we are a mobile studio that is seeking to be acquired. We have a capable team and we have one free to play mobile game which has been in soft launch for a year. How should we value our game when we have started negotiations with companies who would want to buy us. There are options now on the table. But we don't really know how to value a soft launched game. Well, thanks for asking this question, Amy. This is a topic that I've been thinking about recently a lot. So, like, how do you value a game startup uh, where there is no revenue? Uh, you, yeah, because that's actually the problem with this question is that you didn't uh, give much context on the situation of the company so i'll try to answer this question from like different scenarios and and situations so let's go into like this like first scenario so i'll do a b c d so scenario a you have a team that is really the top talent in in the industry you've been working together for for a long time you really work well together and You've done free-to-play games before. It's a, You have a really capable team and you have a game that is in soft launch with great metrics and it seems like you could do some profitable UA with it. Uh, but it's still early days so you're not making any money really. The numbers are great. Uh, everybody's looking at the numbers and they're saying they're great and you could run profitable UA for this game. So I'll then cover the the, the other scenarios before I give advice for any of this so that the scenario B would be that you have a team that is capable, but it's it's not sort of like the top talent of the industry. You haven't really shipped free to play games before you started this company, so it's the first time you're doing these kind of mobile games. But you have done a lot of work now, like for you've spent years building your own games, so that shows that you know something so the game that you've soft launched has promising numbers. Uh, but the the day seven uh, retention numbers still need work, so it's still an unproven game. But you know you could scale it with user acquisition if you just continue working. So that's scenario B. Then let's put the C and D more like uh, C would be that this is a team that is top talent, but they don't have a game that works, and then you have scenario D, which would be. Uh, the team isn't top talent, but they have a hit game in soft launch, it seems, because the numbers are so great. So an acquirer will always look at the combination of the team and the game. I think that's that's where it comes down to with a game startup in, in the early days, because that's also what the what an investor would look like. I think a, a VC looking at a startup will think about it the same way that an acquirer will, that there are risks, will it scale? Will the team be able to to get things done so if a studio wants to be acquired at the soft launch stage they'll get the best price of course with this kind of scenario a where you have top talent and you have great metrics so the scenario b where the the team isn't the top talent but and the game is still unproven uh, an acquisition will be really tough especially if the team wants some cash for selling the company i would say like an unproven game is that you cannot really like scale uh, you know the game with profitable user acquisition. That is the big question here. So if you can't do that math on the game it's not a proven game. So what I've seen happen with these B situations is that a bigger studio will enter negotiations but eventually they will pass on an acquisition. But if the acquirer liked the team enough they might want to offer roles for them. So basically giving them job offers with a very competitive salary and a great compensation package. So in the startup world, this would be called uh, an acqui-hire, short for like acquisition hire, where the team doesn't uh, make any money really from selling the company because the company doesn't get sold. It's sort of more or less the team gets devoured into a bigger company. And often... Investors and non-team members don't get anything uh, and the company just gets dissolved. Uh, so an acqui-hire happens often when the studio is running out of cash and nobody wants to fund the company anymore and the founders don't have any options left and they don't want to sort of like crash and burn, but they rather like, you know, close it down quietly. Uh, So scenarios C and D are more nuanced with C being this top talent without a game and D being uh, not a top talent team but having a very good game. So D usually wins here when talking about the price and value of the company. In C the best outcome uh, would be an acquisition as in B but with some small cash to acquire the team investors might have some veto rights for exits so an acquisition will be up to them but if there is no veto uh, the deal might happen and the founders and investors get some money back uh, but not much maybe they split uh, a million together or something and the investors get some money back through that way Uh, but it's it's definitely not a really great outcome so D is more tricky which was this that the team isn't top talent, but the game seems to be a hit. The question here is why Why is the founding team wanting to sell the company now that the numbers are looking great? Why not keep pushing for a bigger exit later on, raising money from investors to grow the game, like gradually spending more and more on user acquisition? And then uh, you know, as, as long as you're taking care of uh, return on ad spend, that you're profitably doing user acquisition... The the company could suddenly be anywhere from uh, 10x, 20x from what it would have been like if you would have sold the company at the soft launch stage. But if you're in a situation, Amy, uh, like let's say this D, where the founders do want to sell at soft launch, uh, then what you would want to do is look at your row the return on ad spend metrics and come up with a way to value your company at fair market value like seeing like how how quickly can you return your ad spend is it like in 30 days even 60 days 120 days uh, that like a dollar spent on acquiring a player that dollar comes back in 30 days 60 days or 120 days um, you could build a a t- deal based on these these kind of estimations and numbers, and then it's of course the buyer who who can decide if this they believe these estimations. Uh, and then you could build this into a t- deal where where part of the deal is cash and the rest is like this earnout, which happens a lot. Uh, the earnout is kind of like a, a postponed uh, acquisition payment for the the people who are getting bought. Uh, depending on what the prof- profits are in the future, so uh, this really happens a lot. Like recently, a Finnish game studio called Reworks uh, was sold to Playtika uh, with a combined value of 600 million dollars. Out of that, 400 million was cash, you know, to your to the founders and to the investors and owners uh, to split up, and then there is this earnout of 200 million which comes from future revenues of the games that the studio works on. It's basically a profit share of the future. I I think these kind of deals are really interesting if you want to sell at the early stage of soft launch. Uh, But like, so in both of these situations, B and D, if you have a game that works in soft launch, my advice is to figure out a way to get the best uh, deal of cash now and more later if the game works, but only if you want to to sell now. I would go uh, the long mile, but that's just me. All right, this is the end of this episode. Thanks a lot for sending these questions. If you have more questions in mind, please do send them over to elitegamedevelopers.com/askmeanything. It's all typed together. Ask me anything. And uh, you can fill out the form there and I'll get your questions answered in the future episodes. Thanks a lot, everybody. See you next time. Bye-bye.